Hello, I'm John Waters, and I'm supposed to announce there is no smoking in this theater, which I think is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard of in my life. How can anyone sit through a length of a film, especially a European film, and not have a cigarette? But don't you wish you had one right now? Mmm, 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 mmm. And I'm telling you, smoke anyway. It gives ushers jobs. And if people didn't smoke, there would be no employment for the youth of today. So once again, no smoking in this theater. Thank you for listening to Trilove, a literal roundtable podcast about the movies we saw and people we met at the Trilon Cinema in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Can roll with this one. Uh, my name is Jason Daphnis. You can find them on Twitter at Trilon Cinema. You can find us on Twitter at Trilove Podcast. Uh, you'll notice we are uh, not sounding like we normally do. We're recording again remotely during the coronavirus crisis, COVID nineteen quarantine, and uh, we've got a. I, I don't even know. It's not themed around quarantine or around contagion or disease like our previous episode on contagion was, but I'm going to let Aaron explain why we picked this movie. Uh, you, I'm Jason Davnis. You can find me on Twitter at Nintendoofus. Uh, my name's Aaron Grossman. You can find me on Twitter at RBPlease. Uh, I'm Harry, I guess. Um, you can find me at Shiitake Harry on Twitter. And I'm Cody. You can find me on Twitter at Cody underscore BH. All right, Aaron, you give us a, a pitch on what movie we're doing and why. We are uh, taking a look at Spike Lee's 2006 film Inside Man. Um, I I think I stand alone in this. I think it fits the theme pretty well because it's about a guy who stays inside. Uh, and that's what I've been doing. And uh, Inside Man, uh, coronavirus theme, uh, I think it fits real well. I will now do the summary of this film. Uh, yeah, uh, Spike Lee, 2016. Uh, it is written by Russell Gerwitz, who wrote one other movie in 2008 and then proceeded to do nothing after that. Uh, it's featuring an all-star cast, including uh, Denzel Washington, Clive Owen, Jodie Foster, uh, Christopher Plummer, Willem Dafoe, and Chiwetel Ejiofor. Uh, in one of his kind of earlier breakout-ish roles, I guess. Um, yeah, I was Washington. Great to in this. Yeah. Uh, Washington stars as Detective uh, Keith Fraser, who, alongside his partner, Detective Bill Mitchell, uh, played by uh, Edge of Four, uh, gets pulled into a hostage situation slash bank robbery uh, that's in progress at a Manhattan bank. Um, Clive Owen is kind of the head uh, bank robber by the name of Dalton Russell, um, who has uh, who assures the audience in a, a fourth wall breaking bit at the beginning that he has concocted the perfect scheme to break into the bank and get out without leaving a trace. Um, Detective Fraser and then also Russell, they kind of go head to head as uh, Fraser struggles to make sense of Russell's confusing demands and actions over the course of uh, one night. Um, so that's my plot summary for the movie. Did I do okay? I want to go back a step. I think that the summary is okay. It it sort of delves needlessly into how the movie opens. A I didn't know any. I didn't no, know any summary. of that. I'm not going to call it a fine summary. Um, but I will. I want to open the floor to whether or not this movie actually like does fit the bill. Just for a second, because there is such a divided opinion here. I am of the mind that it does not count as a quarantine movie because nobody's quarantined for any reason. They are there by choice. The bank robbers are there by choice. Maybe you could construe that the hostage takers are a force who are uh, forcing civilians against their will to be in a place. But the way you described it was literally people inside building, therefore quarantine. Well, when you think about it, we're all quarantined within this system called capitalism. 
which is, I think, what this movie is really about and what Aaron, why Aaron decided to choose it for this theme. Yes, thank it you for not. giving me too much it credit, not give him That any- was exactly why I decided to do it. Uh, I guess I'm inclined to say that it does fit the theme with the semi-selfish uh, motivation that, you know, if we have this movie as a precedent, we can literally shoehorn any movie into a quarantine-type <laughs> theme going Very forward. nefarious. Very nefarious. Hausu is a quarantine movie. Oh, oh, Hausu is literally Hausu is literally a quarantine movie, dude. Of course, quarantine time, movie. Bro. Also, we should it, record really. about House again. We should record Finally, about House shout again. out by the way. This uh, afternoon, yeah, this afternoon, Nobuhiko Obayashi. I always screw up the first name every single time. Uh, passed away, uh, beloved director of Hausu and many other uh, acclaimed cult films. Uh, may he rest in peace. We may. We may break out that one once more for yeah. For kicks I would really and gigs. like to. Um, man, passing of a, a legend. It's hey, terrible. Legend. It's been a trash ass week for everybody. Yeah, uh, miserable and everywhere. I don't need to delve into that. Uh, so, uh, we we all kind of congregated around the idea before we started that we're not. It, it's been a while since any of us watched this movie. Anybody like? What are your first thoughts about? I guess like. For me, it it wasn't a super strong Spike Lee movie to me. Like it was very not. It didn't. I didn't know that it was a Spike Lee movie until Spike Lee's name appeared on the credits at the beginning. I did not know its provenance. I didn't know like who was involved in making it. I didn't know anything about it. Uh, and then, and I sort of uh, took stock at the end of the movie and asked myself, would I have known that this was a Spike Lee movie had I not seen it in the beginning credits? I don't think I would have, save for like a few shots that were unmistakably Spike Lee. Did anybody else get that feeling? Oh, that's fascinating to me. Um, I came at it from the opposite perspective where uh, I think the only thing I knew about this movie was that it was a Spike Lee movie. And so I came to it with that uh, lens where I was thinking like, um, okay, I know this is a Spike Lee movie, so I know to watch for uh, Spike Lee-isms. And from that score, um, this felt like, so clearly a Spike Lee love letter like project. Um, In fact, to the point where I was so gratified that it was a Spike Lee movie, because I think that his flavor, his sort of um, approach to filmmaking really makes this movie what it is for me um, and elevates it from being what would be kind of a boilerplate standard genre movie, which it is pointedly um, and, and self self-consciously into something that's that's really a like joy to watch the fact that i could watch this um this unbelievable filmmaker sort of i just like having fun uh with a with a genre that he clearly has a lot of affection for um and so the sort of um limited though it may be our tour theory around um reading this movie really helped it in my estimation, uh, particularly how much I liked it because every time a Spike Lee thing happened in the movie, I could be like, ha like that wouldn't have happened if this wasn't a Spike Lee movie. Um, I was actually surprised that he didn't write it also. Uh, that was the surprise for me, I guess. There is a great deal of Spike Lee scripting in this movie. There are a lot of plot events that construe that conspire or, uh, God that happen. I'm just going to pick simple words for now on that happen. Uh, that do feel like they were like, that like they should have been like they were part of the inception of this movie. Right. Uh, my, I guess my next question, deeper question, um, for, I guess for the room is, does the fact that it was written where there was directed by Spike Lee, does it affect your perception of whether or not it achieves what it was trying to do? Like we've, 
I guess we might have a difference of opinion in whether or not it like what, what, what this movie is about versus what it achieved in itself. Is it like just a, a, a fun hype a heist movie or is it, is it going for something deeper? And did the fact that Spike Lee directed it help like help achieve that goal? Uh, for me, you know, I, I, I think I have a different history with this film. I saw this movie, uh, probably not long after it came out. I think I saw it in high school. So maybe like 2009, maybe 2010. Um, that was really before I knew Spike Lee very well as a filmmaker or really was watching too many films outside of, you know, watching movies with my family or at the theater or whatnot. Um, so I saw this probably as my first Spike Lee movie and then watched a bunch of other Spike Lee films and then came back to this one later. Um, and so in, in that manner, it feels like a, uh, a Spike Lee movie, I guess, with a caveat that it feels like Spike Lee kind of sneaking Spike Lee into a typical genre film, I guess, as, as Harry said, or, or yeah, it's just, along it's the his same take, lines. It's his take on a heist movie or a bank robbery movie, right? It's like you're going to get the Spike Lee joint of a bank, a bank heist movie. Yeah. And I, th- I think in regard to what the, the film is trying to do, I think kind of the most uh, obvious thing would be that, you know, the ending of the film, the ties that the film has uh, with the idea of, you know, the, the history of, um, oh, I don't know, financial institutions, capitalism in the United States, uh, how all of that is kind of seeped in this darker history that, that is inescapable from yeah. uh, present how, day. How wealth is created um, and how it is perpetuated and uh, where it comes from and the sort of value system that uh, creates a system whereby certain people can um, can continue to acquire that wealth and, and hold on to it and what it means right. to hold on to wealth. And very much like what are we protecting when we're protecting that, right? Like what institutions are meant to, like you said, perpetuate it, but not just perpetuate it, but when, in times of danger, when it is threatened, the police force is brought out in full force to protect it. And it's revealed like it goes a little bit deeper than the typical heist movie into like the source of that, of the, of, of what we of what we value, right? Like the inherent um, horrible history of capitalist gain in America. And it's linked directly to, I don't know, this was based apparently on a true story, which I knew about the true story, at least of the guy hiding in the wall, spoiler alert, I guess, uh, prior to watching this movie, but I did not know that this movie was about that. So Aaron, when we were watching it said, uh, I I asked, is it, is it about that story? Is it about that thing? Um, because the very intro of the movie, like, like Aaron said is, uh, is the guy appearing from, you know, in, in a fourth wall breaking sequence where he's talking about his space as a prison. And I thought this is really like, Oh, that real life story. So and then I, I immediately to... told you to shut the fuck up and watch the movie. <laughs> Cause <laughs> I was like, Oh God damn what He fucking, he's talking about the fucking movie. movie. I still had good fun. I mean, I don't think it was anyway. Uh, but I guess I would, how much of that, of those don't... elements were, were, what? Oh, I, I'm sorry. I, w- I was just going to say, I feel like, uh, um, to your credit, you're, you're sort of, um, hedging your opinion. Uh, and maybe you should just say what you sort of, uh, think, which yeah, is maybe that, with it, bro. which is maybe that this is a fun movie. That's not actually doing what you just sort of, uh, gave it credit for. Um, at least sort of thematic thematically or, uh, structurally or, um, in terms of, um, like it's, framing it feels like those things that i gave it such credit for which i do read in the movie i had to read in the movie right like it 
equates yeah. a whole lot of this stuff. It pairs a whole lot of this stuff. The whole thing with Vikram, uh, one of the Sikh uh, bank tellers who is eventually interrogated by police. Um, the whole thing with Christopher Plummer's character being a secret uh, benefactor of the Nazis back in World War II. All of the, both of those things, while interesting parts of the movie, do not feel well integrated into the movie to me. It feels right. like. And I don't know how much of that was, as Aaron called it, a Spike Lee thing, like sort of infiltrating the typical heist movie with that, or if it was uh, like if that was there from the beginning, if the writers had that, or if it was like Spike Lee saw a cool heist movie and said, we're going to make this like about Nazis. We're going to make this about uh, racist systems of power that perpetuate uh, like the cap- the gain of capital through history. Um, and, you know, uh, the, the warring uh, sort of duties of police and specifically black police officers and detectives in New York City. Yeah, I don't know how much of that was there to start with? We've talked about this before, but there, there's sort of, um, there's a sense in a lot of movies, and certainly in this movie, that there are sort of two two movies or two ideas occurring at once, right? There's, there's the story as it's presented on the page, um, and then there's the story that we receive uh, that, that is the actual culmination of of filming and of the the art um and this movie on the page is is setting out to do the things that you view in it but there's a difference between what a movie sets out to do and what a movie's about or what a movie's saying right. um i think that the themes of this movie play second fiddle so to speak to the fun of this movie um to the to the fact that it what it's really doing what this movie's really about to me is setting out to have as much fun creating a heist sort of um, thriller scenario in the vein of Spike Lee's movies uh, with the, the interplay between the cop and the um, bank robber and the slow reveal of the scope of what's actually happening here and the twists and turns to the final reveal and the character arcs that, that occur within that uh, cat and mouse game and final reveal. All of that is what the movie to me is about. Um, and it's playing in classical sort of elemental genre fictional themes as a means to an end. I don't think we're necessarily used to the themes of a movie being a means to an end toward a genre exploration. I, I sure. feel like that's that's counterintuitive to the way people like, uh, that's a weird way to frame it, but uh, people like us sort of tend to um, to like look at movies where we sort of look at genre as one of many sort of constructive elements toward the communication of an overall artistic theme. Um, but I don't think that's to the movie's detriment. Um, I think that it's, it's actually fine and, and a little bit interesting to apply theme itself as a means to an end toward another thing. And I think that that's what this movie's doing. Um, I don't think it's the only movie that does that by any means. I think that there are a lot of genre movies that do this, right? Where like they they do the Robin Hood thing and they do the sort of like, this is the real history of wealth and this reframes the way that we should be thinking about uh, police and property and uh, criminality. But all of that is just there toward the end of actually having fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I Given that description and it's not the same, it's not like a one-to-one parallel between like, the commentary on the police state and on the institution, uh, like law enforcement institutions. But like the way you're describing that, you could lift a lot of that and say that it, I mean, knives out. Uh, I also think that this is true. I, I was going to, I was going to bring that up for knives out. And, and, you know, I think maybe to differ with not any, not to disagree with anything Harry said, but I Drama think for myself, chat. no, I, I think I would maybe incorrectly, but I would paint myself as someone who maybe is 
more willing to take genre films kind of just on their face. Like, I think I'm of, of the four of us, maybe the, the largest fan of those kind of films and kind of willing maybe to put up with a lot of their bullshit uh, and kind of push that aside for I chafe know, at that a, a little bit, but I understand what you're saying. Sure. Uh, but like, you know, I have a lot of problems with especially newer movies, let's say from like Inside Man on, um, such as Knives Out that are, are kind of too interested in doing some sort of a deconstruction, whether that's meta or not, uh, in the genres that they reside in. I think with, with, you know, Knives Out, I, I watched that movie and I really liked it and I still have a very positive opinion of that movie. But kind of the main thing that keeps nagging at me as I uh, think back to it is it is a movie that is so uh, interested in messing around with the typical structure of a whodunit that it kind of comes away not feeling like a whodunit in the end. And that, you know, I don't want to spoil the movie, but that's very much what's what it's interested in doing. And this movie is kind of a similar thing where it's a it's a, a bank heist movie about uh, some bank robbers who are actually the good guys who actually don't kill anybody who uh, the main you know prize that they get away with uh, is kind of untraceable and is only um, you know uh, truly wealthy to one person and it's it's mainly not even due to its actual wealth as opposed to its backstory and I think that could threaten to ruin this movie as a bank heist movie but for me it's like so well done on every other part that it doesn't take away from it in the same way that like Knives Out does okay I don't know if anybody else had that. Sure, I, I think I think that the thing about this movie that that saves it from I what I what I think you're describing and something that I kind of agree with I I wouldn't necessarily have communicated it the way you did but I think that there there's a problem with with like sort of modern genre uh, film where they're kind of trying to have their cake and eat it too um, in a sense and and also that that they don't actually have the strength of their convictions vis a vis deconstruction where they, they kind of are deconstructive to a point uh, in, until the sort of third act when metafiction falls away and it just does the thing that all of them were doing. Um, and th- so the only, I think we've talked about this before with like Marvelization of, of movies, but like at a, at a certain point, it's like all that there was left was the sort of veneer of self-consciousness and self-awareness um, until that must necessarily fall away as the plot develops. Um, I would, I would say that, but if I can, if I can cut in here real quick, I also like, a thing that I kind of have a problem with is that there aren't actually that many of those movies anymore. Like they're, you know, Knives Out came out and I watched it and I enjoyed it. But then I thought like, when is the last time that like a true blockbuster whodunit came out? Like a true blockbuster mystery, like, you know, it was Murder on the Orient Express, which I've heard is okay. You know, um, you know, when is the last time that a true blockbuster bank robbery movie, you know, you hear things like people talked about like the Winter Soldier is like, oh, it's this espionage film. And you watch it and you're like, it's really, it's really not, you know, like those movies, those true genre picks aren't really made anymore. So when a movie comes out, that's so focused on deconstructing it, it, part of it kind of pisses me off because I wish they had just made a good version of one of those films. And even though maybe that's kind of shitty, I guess. Sure. Sure. Uh, Let's, let me ask a question of the group who do Aaron, you said you maybe have uh, the most familiarity. You were bragging about the most familiarity with Spike Lee's work. Uh, What, like, if there's such strong presence of his work in this movie for some on this podcast, uh, what do you see in it aside from like the one dolly shot? That's really fun. That's like distinctly and uniquely Spike Lee. Not Denzel just Washington. Movie. Yeah. I, a lot of it's Denzel Washington. I thought that the, the opening monologue was really funny. I couldn't believe that Spike Lee hadn't written it uh, because it, like it's so um, do the right thing. E 
and like so sort of uh silly to open the monologue not that it's silly and do the right thing but like to to open with with um clive owen just staring right at the fucking camera and just like reciting um also as a side note for that scene apparently clive owen doesn't ever want to do movies where they don't show his face so they had to write in scenes where he could show his face because that was like a big sticking point for him uh which is kind of funny is is he just narcissistic or no he said that like it it affects his acting where like so much of intent and affect is in the eyes and so he always wants to be able to show his eyes so it's pretty funny that like everything in that opening scene except for his eyes is shaded and his fucking eyes are huge and like take up the whole screen (laughs) clive owen always and constantly perceiving himself through the other Hmm. i don't know i thought that was funny I said that uh, that also um, one of my notes is that only Spike Lee should be able to write movies about New York. Uh, this was back when I thought Spike Lee had written this movie. But I think that that there's a lot in the focus of this movie on the everyday lives of New Yorkers. Um, for instance, a bunch of the interview scenes were ad-libbed uh, like entirely. Oh, I was going to I thought that maybe like this being a true story because they felt so real. I thought that maybe they were like based on tapes that. Uh, that had been secured from like the investigation from these actual interrogations because they do you're right they feel very very real very very no yeah it turns out denzel washington is literally actually just that charming in real life uh (laughs) that that scene where he he like has that old lady like eating out of the palm of his hand is so good where she like she like gets up to leave like three times and he's like did you rob the bank though and then she like cracks up and she's like it's like kind of a dick move that they're playing with her that much but it like works so well uh, yeah, I, I really liked a lot of the character that this movie had and like specifically that New York flavor. Again, I wasn't really paying attention to who wrote the movie when I was watching it. It was just like the movie in front of my eyes. And once I knew that it was a Spike Lee movie, I was looking for the Spike Lee things. Um, I didn't know that he didn't write this movie either, but like a lot of this movie, I wonder how much of it was ad lib because like very big plot points, uh, like the, the ultimatum that Clybone gives the cops to be like, he gives them a riddle about what, how many trains pass through grand central station. And there's like a minute and a half of dialogue between Denzel and Chiwetelagi four and Willem Dafoe about what trains pass through what stations or terminals. And it just feels like such a goddamn New Yorker moment. It's so New York. It's like the Californians that SNL skit, but the New York equivalent. You watch SNL, Harry, are you, are you canceled? I watched SNL in like 2007 or whenever that was happening. When it was uh, cool. Yeah, you can cancel me. No, it was not cool. Don't watch SNL. <laughs> SNL fucking sucks. I don't know why I made that reference. Uh, yeah, I guess I I know I'm just blowing through talking points because I don't have a whole lot of notes, but does anybody else have many more thoughts on um, that? About I wanted how it, to go like, back. Specifically localizes New York. If we could real quick. Um, I never got Cody's um relationship to this movie. Uh, either like sort of um what you um, your experience with Spike Lee or your sort of uh, takeaway based on your history with um, his movies. Um, oh, because like yeah. me and me and Aaron both had really different uh, feelings about it. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if I have the least amount of experience with Spike Lee's filmography out of the four of us. Um, I've seen do the right thing uh, once. And I'm, as I'm saying this, I'm looking over at the criterion I have for it on my shelf. Um, I definitely need to rewatch that at some point, really just that and black clans and, uh, before inside man. So I guess I was sort of like Jason, um, in that I was looking for the Spike Lee, 
uh, as I was going and trying to pick like pick up on on little things as I went without really knowing, I guess in my case, what I was looking for exactly. Um, the um, I you know you guys have been talking about the like the New Yorkness of it all, and uh, like I, I guess that was an early thing I latched onto and how it was so almost like really like caricaturishly over the top New York. It was very much so, yeah. Um, and I initially, like, I thought that was going to put me off and it wasn't just like the New Yorkness, like everybody was sort of not necessarily overacting, but like, um, Denzel and, um, Chiwetel were like very overly oh, yeah. cocky within their, their, their jobs. Clive I Owen mean, was very Clive Owen. Um, but then everybody, and I, I guess I just chalked it up to Spike Lee, but you know, I too didn't realize he didn't write it, but everybody else just kind of like fell into grooves, fell into a rhythm with each other where everything worked uh, like after the first act or so in my mind. Uh, and I really like, I, I, I don't know what to make of that on like a, like an auteur, uh, like from that lens. Um, yeah. It, I, it we're felt, just kind of connecting dots here. Right. It, I mean, this is a comic book movie, right? Like a hundred percent. Oh, totally. Uh, to speak to that overacting and everything. Um, right. I, I specifically, when you say that it's like a comic book movie and that it's overacted, I think of not just the acting, but the, the soundtrack. Did anybody else notice that anytime Denzel I, is on screen, basically there's like a seventies fucking brassy cop theme that plays. It's I the couldn't tell if thing. I, if I loved this soundtrack or really hated it. Um, Same. Because it's really fun to listen to. It's also like hella distracting. Oh, incredibly. I mean, I found that like, I don't know if it worked toward a specific end for me, but I just did. Uh, it brought a smile to my face every time. I guess it just enhanced the charming qualities of Denzel Washington on screen and right. how he played off of other people. Because then there's one scene right after he thinks, again, spoiler alert, he thinks that somebody's been killed on the roof where it's the uh, Spike Lee dolly shot and you know his body is not moving. He's just floating toward his destination and the music is really intense there. And it's the first time we've seen him doing a walk and talk scene where it's just like a uh, heart pumping, drum thumping soundtrack rather than like really funky bass and very like cop horns. I, I hate to, to come at my boy Spike like this, but uh, the, the composer for this film was Terrence Blanchard. He, uh, he also worked with Spike on Black Klansman. Um, he's been nominated for like a million Grammys. He, he's a he's a good jazz artist. Uh, I think it might just be Spike Lee not working with him very well. Like there's there's similar scenes in Black Klansman. I'm thinking specifically of a scene with Adam Driver uh, on a, at a certain gun range uh, where they're he's kind of infiltrated the clan and they're like shooting off guns and then. Um, there's like the end of that scene is like a, a pan out shot where it like shows that they were shooting um, like silhouettes of black men. And it's like a really, it's like, you know, kind of horrifying uh, scene. And just the soundtrack there is just like so overutilized. Um, and it's like a really great score, but I think Spike just kind of maybe puts it on too thick and kind of the same That's thing. That's interesting. I think a lot of the music is great, but it's, yeah, it's too like I, abrupt. I don't the know more, if I, Sorry, the more you talk ahead. about it, the more you talk about it, the more I feel entrenched. It like now, now I'm taking a side. I believe that it is intentional because yeah. because like you think about the difference of perspective. There, this is <laughs> as uh, Ko would say, as Kyle Olson, uh, venerable podcast guest, uh, Kyle Olson would say, this is a little bit of a Love Actually movie too, where we have multiple perspectives and multiple recountings of the same events, um, and 
when you think about how those perspectives switch and how much changes, like when you're on the cops in their like surveillance van, things are pretty colorful. They're pretty well lit. They're pretty like, I don't want to call it light, but a little bit more casual and relaxed. And then once you're inside the bank, whether you're with the hostages or with the robbers, everything is intense. It's like a goddamn Michael Bay movie in there. Everything's very cool colors. Everything is very like close to desaturated. Everything's very loud and intense. Uh, and then when we come back to the cops, it's again, like, it sounds like a seventies, uh, cop comedy. It, I think it's intentional. I'm um, putting my foot down. I think it, I think it, whether or not it's intentional, it works for me as a, um, sort of winking indication of the intent of the film itself. Um, which is to say that like, this is a movie that understands and knows that it, that it's a genre movie first and foremost, and that every other element of it is leading you toward the conclusion of having fun within the mold of a genre, uh, kind of to speak to Aaron's point. Um, I think that, I think that what works so well for me about this movie, um, to sort of, to sort of get to my overall feelings about it, um, that the music contributes towards and is a really good example of is that this is, um, and actually the Spike Leanness of this movie works with this too. I, it's a movie that, that possesses a great deal of comfort in what it is. Um, I, I don't think that it bears any tension of trying to be more than it is. I think that this movie like represents a ideological comfort um, and assurance in its form and function and art that makes it feel completely tensionless to me. Just really, really slick start oh, yeah. to finish. Um, I, this is it's like a, it's a very very self actualized movie in my mind, and I think that the reason why it is that is because of Spike Lee. Um, this is like it reads to me like a like a a self actualized master um, who knows that he's a master having as much fun as he can and just completely pulling it off because he doesn't have any sort of angst or ego uh, in the game. If that makes sense. Yeah, I. Another thing, another one of my notes that's playing, I think, against some something that you're saying is that there's like a weird, not not sort of the race to the climax that you'd expect of a heist movie. I mean, things do get more intense as they go, but they tend to plateau for a long time. Uh, yeah, between, the third act of this movie is weird. It is. And, you know, it was around the third, beginning of the third act that I was like, man, we really haven't made much progress, right? Like we really haven't built the stakes. There's still a lot we don't know. And there's still a lot, and there's already a lot that we do know. It like holds its certain secrets back and like really divulges other things. And, you know, that's part of the scripting. That's part of the directing. Uh, did anybody else feel like it was a little, like it was sort of at odds with, with the that's genre? That's a really good point. Yeah. Um, I, I think that, that the more I think about this movie, the more of sort of an impressive tightrope walk it is because they have to play their cards so close to their chest because they don't have that many cards. Like, this is a very simple movie, ultimately, I think. Uh, and they have to stretch it out, this this very basic plot over a long time. And the way that they do that is just by like sort of dangling the keys in front of you. You know what I mean? I mean, because like you said, as I'm thinking about it now, we know nothing about any of the actual plot of this movie until the third act of the movie, right? Like up until then, it, it's like the cat and mouse and Denzel Washington's whole thing is like, like he's continuously bamboozled by the fact that like the situation on the ground is not what he thought it was. And that just keeps right. happening to him. And he's like, he's trying to predict what this guy's move is going to be, but he's, he's operating with such incomplete information. And so he keeps getting it wrong and it just like keeps happening to him. And that happens like six times and somehow we're not bored of it. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting that you know not only do we not know anything about the plot of this movie or like the the true events behind it, but we really don't even through the whole movie we have no idea who Clive Owen's character is, any of his you know a comp, uh, you know any of his fellow we know exactly bank robbers. Who he is? He says his he says his full name at the very beginning of he the says movie. His full name, but he is not characterized truly in any real manner over the course of the film outside of being a Robin hood like character. We have no idea how he got the information that he needed for this bank robbery, uh, what his true motivations are about, uh, you know, apart from some kind of like payback uh, or just like, you know, kind of historical revenge, I guess. Right. And it, it, I think the movie kind of works despite that, or maybe even because of that, um, because it's, it's throwing, such simple elements together and then having it played by such charismatic actors that you kind of don't care, you know, yeah. like Denzel Washington's character is a detective who, uh, you know, was, was kind of wrongly accused of stealing money from a case. Uh, he has a girlfriend, uh, that he likes a lot, uh, who has a kind of like lazy, uh, like brother is it that stays with her and he wants to be promoted in the police department. And that's kind of his whole character. Um, and it works anyway, cause he's Denzel Washington and Spike Lee gives him a lot of chances to be Denzel Washington, uh, right, apart, right. You know, right next to Clive Owen being Clive Owen. I get the feeling Harry also wants to jump in here, but I'm just going to note, I think it's ironic and maybe fun and a fun inversion of the form that the only person whose motivations we don't know is the robber. Like yeah, in, that's uh, great. In, a, in a, in a typical heist movie. You, that's the only thing you do know. You know that the robbers want to take the money and they want to get out. But in this movie, you know the cop's motivations. He wants to get ahead. He wants to uh, uh, like develop professionally. You know the um, uh, the whole the bank owner's motivations. He wants to keep his secrets held. You don't know what the robber actually wants. Um, and not only that, but but the motivation, figuring out the motivation of the um, the robber is the the stated sort of uh, carrot of this movie. Like we're we're given that speech at the beginning um, where he says, uh, "Because I could," and we're sort of in my mind set up. Well, I actually never mind. I'm I'm going back on this now. <laughs> I was going to say like I this is a this is a movie that that holds its reveals because it wants you to want them. But then I I'm thinking back now to how the the opening of this movie directly contradicts that when he says the reason I did this is because I could. Um Yeah, but then we see him get away with the treasure at the end. Like he clearly wanted something more than to prove he could. Right. He, like, he ends up capitulating on right. You don't, at the beginning of the movie, you don't, you, yeah. okay, this guy's the bank robber. He is, I think, pro- pretty badly shown to be a bad guy, right? Like, I, I don't know. I've seen this movie right. like four times, so fuck me. But I, I would assume everybody halfway through this movie realizes that Clive Owen is not a bad guy, right? He never plays as a bad guy from the very start. Like, did, did you guys see the twist coming, I guess? That is a question I'm curious about. Which I know twist? Jason, uh, the, the him staying in the walls. Yeah, kind of, I I don't know that it's so much a twist. Like they seed it early on. It was a headline years before this movie came out. I don't even know. I I don't even know, man. Like, I don't know that I'd call that a twist. If you're seeing like the intro is him stuck in a wall. Every single time you see like his teammates working at something, it's like building a room. They're talking about building a shitter in the floor. Like the fact that it is where it is, maybe like gets you. I wouldn't call it a reveal. I wouldn't call it a sting even. Yeah, um, it's been alluded to a few times here. I don't know if we wanted to back up just a little bit uh, and reiterate that. Um, I agree. I think this movie, uh, through 
it's less than fleshed out narrative or i guess narratives uh it works um because of its ensemble which is amazing did we want to just walk through that really quick and say who all is in this movie because i don't think we've even gotten close to listing everybody yet um denzel and and chuatel uh um are detectives working this negotiation um you know this this hostage situation at the bank overseen by uh dalton russell played by clive owen and uh his his band of three other um you know associates that you know that they're they're robbing the bank with him uh and then this uh i guess i should say willem dafoe we haven't mentioned willem dafoe yet but he's uh a captain he's a cop who's down with these detectives and they're kind of working alongside each other um and uh the subplot jodie foster plays madeline white who's kind of like a fixer um and she's helping christopher Plummer's character arthur case with um the retrieval of the some someone mentioned the the nazi artifacts but yeah, it turns it turns out that Arthur Case, the um, the owner of this bank, the billionaire uh, owner of of the franchise of banks, among other franchises, has Nazi paraphernalia um, that implicates him in a long historical conspiracy to profiteer from the Nazis, and it in fact proves that he. Um, has acquired his wealth as the result of nefarious deals with the Nazis during World War II, including selling Jewish people to them um, or not standing in their way. And that's how he acquired his wealth in the first place. It turns out, like the broadening of the scope that I alluded to before, it turns out that that's sort of his soul and uh, history is what's at stake at this bank robbery. And that's what makes it actually uh, as big a deal as it is beyond the obvious um bank robbing financial motivation as the character says uh, and that's why jody foster's brought in who is this very cartoonish uh funny like power broker uh power behind the throne type character and apologies if that was actually all covered during the plot synopsis i tend to just black out during those how dare you Fair. so does aaron I, I i i start saying all right it's one day back in february and then i i i wake up and i'm covered in blood uh it's been three minutes of plot summary and uh I just, I'm just super sweaty. That's usually what happens. So maybe we should talk a little bit, if, since we've been talking about, a lot about how you know this this feels and sometimes doesn't feel like a Spike Lee movie. Should it, you know, uh, could it feel more? Should it feel less? Etc. Maybe we should get into the moments that it really does that like rang as super Spike Lee moments to y'all. I know Cody, you said you have limited experience with some of his movies, but it, I I think that like given what you know about his history as a filmmaker and the ones you've seen, you might be able to pick up on some of the stuff that feels like he really wanted in this movie. Yeah. Um, and that the moments where he had like a really good grasp on the talent he was working with. Um, and like, I, I'm feeling out uh, our initial reactions to this movie immediately after we all saw them in our respective households. Um, I feel like this might not be a popular opinion. I, kind of really liked Clive Owen uh, in this movie, despite his ridiculous character. Um, and his, I also like Clive Owen a lot in this movie. Yeah, his, for sure. His, his accent fluctuated a lot, um, <laughs> which As it does. Uh, I'm sure isn't that, being isn't that just his voice? Not easy. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't, I, I, I don't want to shout on him if I don't have to. Um, the, converse, the conversations he had in the bank uh, with Jodie Foster and then later with Denzel Washington, I both thought were really, really good. Um, they were jarring um, in not, but not in ways that other parts of this movie were jarring, um, like the soundtrack, for example. But like those were 
jarring um, as far as scenes that felt like they were of a different movie, and they felt like sequences that were distinctly Spike Lee sequences, where it's just two uh, or three amazing performers in a room, um, you know, immaculately lit, uh, and it, they're just, you know, they're speaking words, man. Uh, and I, I like those scenes a lot. Um, and yeah, uh, I hope to expand upon my literacy of Spike Lee and see if that is like actually something that I should be commending him for, um, or if it's just something that stood out to me be, based on a small sample size. Sure. There's, you know, there, there, it's almost like of two minds. Like, is it stylistically Spike Lee and is it like writing and dialogue wise Spike Lee? Clearly the writing and some of the plot, like with Vikram's character, the way that he's treated after having been manhandled by the police and, uh, and some of the ways that other minorities and people of color are treated in this movie, uh, clearly ring out like the social angle that he really likes to have in all of his movies. He likes some movies to say things, even when they're just kind of like positioned as fun. Um, I think uh, I, my, I guess my best uh, answer to this question is about, um, I, I, I think that there's a very Spike Lee sensibility to the um, writing and characterization of this movie. Uh, specifically the idea that like, I think that, that Spike Lee likes to make socially didactic movies the way that you um, said, Jason, and the way that he avoids making them feel didactic or making them feel preachy is by situating all of his characters within their own distinct, uh, often selfish motivations, or if exactly. not selfish, then, then driven from the interiority of who they are and where they came from rather than an overarching external exterior goal, like social justice. I right. mean, that's, that's Clive Owen's character to a T, right? Is that he's doing all of this. Um, and is ostensibly the Robin or like Batman character. He gave me big Batman vibes, which is ironic, I guess, cause he's a robber. But, um, but he even says at one point, um, I'm not a, like, I'm not a martyr. I did this for the money. And he's all about like, listen, like the reason I'm doing this is the financial motivation. Um, whether or not that's entirely true. Yeah. I, it's sort of, like you said, their, their own motive, their own sort of like oh, stuck in their own motivations and their own, uh, like, spheres of thought, right? Their own uh, attention spans, but it's how all of those disparate motivations are sort of clouded and blind to the one that they're actually serving, right? I spoke a little bit about how, and I was alluding to Case's character, or uh, sorry, Christopher Palumbo's character, Case, who owns all these banks and how his whole thing, like the whole movie, this is the MacGuffin that they don't really tell you as a MacGuffin until about halfway through the movie. Uh, is that everybody like what one of the real goals of this is this information that that he collaborated with the Nazis in World War II and you know it could take him down forever um and that is that's everybody's overarching goal regardless of what they think they're doing or why everybody's goal is eventually serving that uh, right exactly and despite that there are no heroes right like like Clive Owen's character his his idea despite the fact that he has a line where he says all lies all evil deeds they stink you can cover them up for a while but they never go away his he wants to profiteer off the stink <laughs> right like like that's what he's saying anyway and just like um there in another movie in like the Robin Hood movie Denzel Washington's character's arc would be coming to through this breaking point that he's reached where he has already been um, prejudiced against through the system. He's already been um, 
ostracized by the system because uh, going into his um, his character arc at the beginning of this movie, he he's been passed over for detective first grade for a while because there's this lingering. Um, drug bust in his record where some money disappeared from a drug bust and they can't prove that he took it and there's really no corroborating evidence that he took it but they're just sort of pinning it on him uh and it's implied that racism is one of the motivating factors behind that um and so he's already disillusioned right so you can see an arc for his character where he comes to sympathize with the bank robbers once he understands the the way things are and he actually maybe joins forces with them or something they're like playing at that right they're like they're like playing toward that that's not actually what happens because in spike lee's minds or in the in the sensibility of this movie that's not actually what happens right because everybody is actually their own on their own journey and has their own interests yeah like all of that is feeding what was one of the strongest but weirdest strongest and strangest i guess parts of this movie is that every character uh, like is some form of archetype right you've got the the bank robber you've got the shady owner you've got sort of the information broker you've got uh, the hostages and uh, and the and the robbers team um but there's like a reality, a very like human reality at the heart of each of those archetypes. Um, I don't know that it really comes off super well. I only saw it in the moments of like writing and scripting that felt like those flashback or flash forward, I guess, interviews with the uh, with the hostages after everything's over. How there was those you said were ad libbed and they felt very real to me. Uh, it's like we're we're giving those characters some reality. We're giving them some some agency, some place in this world, and building the world around these characters. Uh, another moment that got me, I think it's near the end of the movie. I forget exactly what the situation is, but Denzel is delivering a line, I think, to his police chief boss, and he just straight up like coughs in the middle of it, as if there was going to be, as if they were going to start over, and he just continues the line, and it's in there. I do not know whether that was scripted or not, but it made it feel like a very real character to me in that, that moment, and that's like sort of. The, the friction of that friction between archetype and real character is what makes it feel like a comic book movie to me, but also feels what feeds what you were talking about, Harry. Yeah, uh, very much so. I think that, that like there is a, there's a larger um, cynicism or pessimism uh, that I think they would call realism uh, towards systemic change or toward um, altruism as a motivator of character in this movie um, in a really interesting way. I think like, I think, I think that there's a, there's a case to be made that it's not, if not realistic, then at least compelling from a character point of view where like all of these characters are fundamentally self-motivated and like, there's not going to be a systemic change here. Right. Like, like the, the, the movie doesn't end with uh, the bank robber being so are like the, um, the Nazi war criminal being held to account uh, except at the like the very end right and then there's like the possibility uh if that makes sense yeah it like it's telling that instead of with it ends with uh you know everybody getting there they're just desserts it ends with denzel washington the, the implication that denzel washington is going to have a real good fuck tonight you know after having made the uh, the detective grade is there the implication uh he, you know he 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 takes he finds this ring, right? He finds this ring in this, uh, the bank vault, the one bank vault that was not listed in the bank records. He, you know, comes to, to find out that it's Christopher Plummer's, uh, you know, kind of, I don't know, Dropbox area where he had all of his uh, kind of, uh, I don't know, sinfully earned goods from back in the day when he was selling out people of the Nazis. And he, he gets this ring and he has a note from Clive Owen that says, follow the ring. And this whole movie, it's been set up that he's like 
his his girlfriend is waiting for him to propose. And there was like, I, it's been a while since I've seen this movie, and I was thinking like, is he gonna propose with the Nazi no. ring? It's oh, well, I, of course not. But like, I kept being like, that doesn't happen, does it? Like that? Oh yeah, yeah. Like, I, he would I never do that. I read. I definitely yeah. thought it was gonna happen. Me too. Uh, it doesn't. But yeah, that I mean, that's what's set up, right? And like, there, there's actually, um, I, this sounds kind of silly, but there's like sort of a silly. Um, interesting through line there thematically sort of symbolically is that like oh are they going to that directly profiteer off of what's happened and is the idea that like oh like that the injustice of history is still occurring it's just that we can change who uh benefits from it which is kind of what the bank robbers arc at the beginning of this is is he's going to be like well they got theirs and now fuck them i'm going to get mine and then it turns out of course, the twist is by working together, uh, we can make sure that doesn't happen because Clive Owen doesn't just take the money. He gives the ring to Denzel Washington, the good cop that he met through this the twists and turns of this event. He says, follow the ring. The ring lets Denzel Washington, who is in the position to do this, bring the Nazi war criminal to justice, right? So like there is some... some um, there There is a thematic through line there, despite this movie's apparent cynicism that... Uh, we can get to a place where we can systemically make changes. Yeah, that makes that makes sense to me. I don't know that the movie ends on the most hopeful note, like you said about that, but I think that's what it's. I think that is what the movie wants you to hope for. It's it's a very it's a very true detective season one ending, right? Where it's like, well, they got theirs, and like we're we're headed towards something better, maybe, right? Like like Denzel Washington, he goes to White and he says, "You have to take this to the State Department. We're going to bring down this Nazi," and like then he's going home. Uh, to fuck right and it's yeah. like that's that's a, that's his his one contribution he's going to make detective first grade the wheels of injustice is going to keep spinning but they contributed something something real right uh we didn't talk about the hand the specifically the hand holding the ring in when he reveals to case that he has sure. it I was going to say, I'm I'm glad I'm learning about the actual ending of the movie now, because once I saw Denzel Washington uh, give Christopher Plummer the middle finger, I kind of blacked out for the rest of the movie until midway through the end credits. Um, So I'm I'm glad you guys are filling in the blanks. If you have not seen this movie, you should Google. I don't know. What would you need a Google in order to find that scene? Yeah, Harry, how'd you find it? I mean, I Googled inside man, inside man ring hand. (laughs) Uh, that that gave me what I was looking for, but it's like I think it's uh I think it's called WTF is wrong with Denzel Washington's hand question mark exclamation point question mark on YouTube. <laughs> that sounds right. Uh, His hand looks fucked up, man. The the, no the description the description here is that it's a like a a single like not even a, a moving hand, not even like a gift or animated hand. It is just a still image of a hand, presumably Denzel Washington's wearing this uh, ring, like a YouTube poop just comes in from the bottom of the frame, giving the finger with the ring on it, you know, ah, ha ha ha, uh, you know, finger to the man. But like, it is as poor a job of adding that as like, you remember how uh, Wesley Snipes just didn't le- keep his eyes open for that one scene in Blade and they had to like Photoshop his eyes in later. It's that bad. I was going to say it's like American Sniper baby level. Uh, although, to be fair, I did not notice the ring in Inside Man. I did not notice the baby in American Sniper either. I, I'm apparently just a fucking moron. The reality I'm going with is that uh, in the year 2006, they held uh, a contest for like some high school flash animation elective class and like the the best at flash animation in this in this class would get the ability to edit a scene for inside man and so some like 
eager, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed 16-year-old uh, got to add in this, this, uh, this little hand animation mapping uh, for, um, for a Spike Lee movie. So good for them. You know, shout out, shout out to that high schooler. It very it's much has like, uh, like t- 2004 jib-jab energy. Like it's exactly the same. That is uh, spot spot on. Um, if I can, if I can go back in order in order to to quickly kind of loop back to how this movie feels like Spike Lee, uh, if that's an okay direction to go in for a second here, um, I'm kind of interested in the geography of this film, and that I, I think that that Spike Lee is very interested um, in. Well, let's just say he's not interested in showing the geography of this actual bank, right? Like the actual uh, uh, floor plan for this bank is kind of generally just hinted at there's a few kind of tracking shots inside of the bank during the hostage situation that kind of show various hallways and rooms. But for the most part, he's not really, it's not like, you know, the, 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 the air quotes here, bad guys are laying out a giant blueprint of the bank and then going through uh, step by step what they're doing. But what Spike Lee really gives a shit about is the street outside of the bank is so well mapped out for the viewer. Uh, the walk that Denzel Washington does between the police trailer and uh, the kind of the front of the bank, you know, with the bank doors is that's a walk that he makes like four or five times at least over the course of this movie. And you can tell like Spike Lee just really gives a shit about like showing New York in that manner. Um, I think another interesting thing is once uh, Denzel Washington, uh, you know, Detective Frazier shows up on the scene after he does a quick, like, you know, he does his rounds really quickly. He talks to uh, a few of the people who are on site there and the first thing he does is he says, all right, uh, I'm going to go to the cafe and grab breakfast. Uh, let me know if anything comes up. And then he just like goes to a diner and just like eats breakfast. It's like such like a very like morning in New York thing to me. It's uh, the Big Apple, baby. It's uh, it's that's it's perfectly correlates with this movie's um, fascination with and interest in depicting the lives of New Yorkers. Right. I mean, like that's that's the utility of those ad libbed uh, interrogation scenes. And it's the utility of the focus on the hostages themselves as people and their myriad encounters with the police, including the bad encounters with the policemen, like the, the Sikh who is um, assaulted by the police and has his turban knocked off of his head. Um, Like those are all pointed, right? Like we're supposed to be thinking about New York and like the people of New York and the systems of New York, uh, including the, the, the cops in New York and the, the way that that power works in New York and who it works for and against. Right. Like I I think that the focus on, New York itself as a physical geography and also the people depicted therein, they really lay the groundwork for um, the power struggle that ensues in this movie. Like when it becomes textual, when it becomes textual that there's a Nazi who's in charge of this bank, it's sort of like, I I think um, they're, they're really laying some good groundwork for that, or at least training you in how you should be thinking about it. Yeah. Not only that, I would argue that the, this specific bank heist I don't know if Spike Lee would say that himself, but the movie kind of uh, unconsciously makes the point that this could not have happened in any other city, but but the greatest city in the freaking world, yeah. New York City, right? Because like the the whole the whole uh, uh, getaway involves all of the uh, bank robbers essentially donning the same uniforms that they made all of the hostages wear, uh, and they've been keeping the hostages in separate rooms, and then they all just like once the police start like, you know, shooting smoke grenades into the place or they throw their own smoke grenades, they essentially just all run out with the hostages. 
And so, you know, there's so many people and they're all able to corroborate pieces of each other's, uh, you know, identities that like (laughs) the police can't, the police can't uh, like figure out who did the robbery. And like part of that is like in the interviews, like the police keep asking questions and they just keep like New Yorking the fuck out of the police where they're like, why you you ask me that, bro? What's what's the fucking problem? New Yorkers being New Yorkers is integral to this plan happening. Yes, there's there's a specific fucking rules. (laughs) There's a specific plot point where like there are two women that have this, the, the, like, the build, like, the bust, uh, for one of the, uh, uh, bank robbers, right? And I was like, there's, there's two women. Like, this is pretty easy to figure out. And, like, the detectives ask one of the women about it, who eventually turns out to have been one of the bank robbers. And she basically just, like, says, what, what sorry, what the fuck are you asking me about? And, like, she yeah. gets away with it. That's <laughs> just, like, kind of shitty uh just particularly the sexism thing it's like oh yeah women will be using accusations of sexism to get away with shit uh which kind of sucks and there's like a little bit of racism in this movie too but like it's a spike lee movie uh so i'm not gonna like i'm not gonna tell spike lee that he's being a racist like Uh, yeah Yeah. i will will Uh, say that the the racial aspects uh i think some of it works i think that one of the one of the bank robbers who, again, there, there's like strong hints that this bank robbery is very kind of uh, slightly personally motivated or like kind of an act of, of revenge. And one of the bank robbers is kind of an older Jewish man who uh, in the in the plot, he's a uh, professor at oh, Columbia yeah. Law School who teaches courses specifically on genocide, slave labor, war reparation claims. Like it's very, very much Spike right. Lee slipping in this kind of generational uh, uh I don't know, what would you say, generational idea of, like, revenge on these crimes committed decades ago? For sure. I, I wrote that down, that, like, another Spike Leeism of this movie is that Spike Lee loves Jewish people, it seems like, which is really, like, rad and great. Like, that's also a thing in Black Klansmen, obviously, is that there's, like, a very pointed subplot about, like, like Judaism's, like, responsibilities for and, uh, and right to... Um, correct injustices and like their skin in the game uh, and like sort of um, intersecting with uh, the the black struggles which is really funny uh, it sucks that um, Spike Lee also seems to love cops uh, he like, loves seems to love cops and seems to like have trouble and maybe I'm in the wrong here but have trouble depicting any like any female presence with any sort of tact or form. There's a whole scene where the cops are interrogating one of the, um, one of the supposed, uh, I think, I think they suspect her at that time of being one of the bank robbers. Uh, and they're, they're just ogling her up and down constantly and saying that she fits the description because the other, because like one of the robbers was described as like having ample bosom or whatever. It's just a really rough scene in particular. I mean, for all that this movie does to, uh, be very smart and uh mindful and thoughtful about uh its depictions of of uh of people of color and of uh marginalized groups it's not great when it comes to the women in this movie yeah i will say that that, uh spike lee has a i don't know it's his there's probably a lot smarter people uh and more qualified people who have, have written and talked about his uh, portrayal of specifically Jewish characters. He he seems. I do agree that he he does seem to like Jewish people a lot. He often resorts to stereotype, uh, like very blatantly. That's fair. Uh, Mo, That's Mo Blues is a. Uh, I've not seen it, but there are screenshots. You can just Google it. Uh, it's a little. <laughs> it's a little egregious. Um, you know he. I don't know. Part of it's. I think it. You know, part of it's part of he he does want to portray New York uh, authentically, and I think some of that can often 
brush up against some of that, just given the the context of some of his films. I mean, he's he's making a uh, also he's making a movie about you know uh, financial institutions uh, and their their kind of generational history. Uh, so you know, I don't know. I th- I think it's generally handled pretty well in this movie, uh, even despite the fact that the movie is dealing with some. Uh, kind of very heavy backstory, I guess. Um, yeah, you never get you never get the sense that that even the the racism is is um, anything less than frowned upon, like like strongly strongly frowned upon. Like the the whole point of the Sikh scene is to portray that the cops fucking suck, right? That like that like white empowered people in this city have an empathy problem where they're like unable to. Um, empathize with the people that they marginalize is like the whole fucking point of that scene. Yeah. Um, and, and how they use the, like that scene in particular with Vikram, how it's like it, not only do they not, d- does their existence like necessarily budge out the like cultural and religious tradition of this whole sect of people, but like they're able to use bureaucracy. They're able to use their position and their lack of authority in the situation to uh, like justify not doing anything about it through that, that whole scene, Vikram's like, they tore my turban off. I'm not going to help you until, uh, until they, like, until somebody helps me uh, until somebody gives me like my turban back. And they're like, you can buy another one. And he's like, no, I don't want another one. That's, that's my turban. And you know, it was wrong to have, to have removed it from my head at all. Uh, and they're like, listen, w- you know, we can't get tied up in all that. Just help us now and we'll see what we can do later. And it's like, I mean, they did give him time to speak his piece. They did get like get that moment in where he does have where he does exert some agency, some input. But ultimately, like the cops do use uh, just like their their position, who they are to justify not doing anything about it. Right. Which is which, again, um, integrates to I'm maybe this will be my my wrapping up thought, but like it integrates with the theme of of this movie, which um, I'm sort of talking myself into liking a lot more now. That seems to always happen when we do this podcast. But like this really is a movie about the arc from individual destiny toward collective destiny. Um, It's it's an arc all of the characters in this movie go from being selfish, self-interested, self-motivated people toward people that are interested in collective justice or in, in their contributions toward doing what's right. Even Owen Wilson's character, although because of the way the twist works, Why, Clive feels, Owen. I'm sorry. Yeah. You just don't oh, want Wilson. Wow. <laughs> oh, wow. Imagine that movie. Uh, I would love to see that version of this movie. I don't think it would be better, but it would be much funnier. I want a plane uh, out on the yeah. I want a bus full of yeah. I can't do it. Oh gosh, come on, guys. Neither can I apparently. Um, yeah. anyway, but but I so I think that that that's all part of it, right? Like showing the selfishness of the police ultimately, and and how they're interested in their institutions and their property protection and their jobs. Um, and then showing how one person within that system collides with this larger idea and collides with this other man and how they both learn from each other. And through that experience, they grow to be more interested in the collective destiny. Um, that's that's the arc of this movie. And it is an archetypal arc of a heist movie like this or of a cop and criminal movie, right? Like that that's still well within the framework of what you do with these movies is show character arcs through that collision. Um, but I think it works really well for this movie because of how self-realized it is. And because yeah. it's it's explicit about what it's doing and what it's saying. It's like, no, like, listen, the, the dude who is in charge of this financial institution is a fucking Nazi. We're not like capitulating about that. We're not like trying to 
create some fictional history. It's just like, no, this is what happened. I really like the like inglorious bastards ness of that. The fact that they they're just saying it uh, as loudly as possible uh, makes it work for me really well. And then again, just the the frictionlessness of it. Gotta gotta agree. Uh, the more we're talking about it, the more I like it. I was I initially like and still haven't given it a rating. I figured I would rate it after our episode. I think I think I think more positively about the movie now than I did. I think having the space to like flesh out some of these ideas and really talk about it rather than just experience it in the moment. Because in the moment it is, it's a fun movie. Harry like pitched this movie as like really fun and whether or not it's interested in deeper things, it doesn't like always need to be. And to put that upon right. a movie like this is a little like forest for the trees kind of thing um we've we've talked about that and used the phrase forest for the trees before uh several times on the podcast i think going all the way back to like total recall don't don't be mistaken i guess would be a big takeaway for me for this it would be like listen like you're gonna have a blast and that's the point and that's right like if if you want to watch a movie about a bank heist where denzel washington plays the world's most charming cop uh, and he's trying to foil a bank robbery and then things get crazy. Like you're going to watch this movie and it's going to be great. Yeah. Is there a, no, so, sorry, Cody, you go. Uh, I was going to jumping off that, the, uh, not jumping off that spoiler alert. Uh, the most important takeaway from this movie is that, uh, or all, all any time that one of the, uh, bank robbers, you know, whether it's Clive Owen, whether it's one of his cronies, uh, it, you know, they're, they're repeatedly shouting, uh, Hey, put your fucking masks on. Uh, and, you know, in the, in the time of COVID-19, I think that is uh, really the truth that this movie is speaking to, to us, uh, the viewers. Um, so I, I, you know, I'm glad that we, we talked through this and um, I think this movie actually really does fit that theme even more than I, I was right about into this it. movie. Uh, you've, I thank you, Cody, for making an actually good, like, case for this being he stays the the closest i could get to making this a themed movie for quarantine is that we're all inside man you don't have to make that pun that's the name of the movie i mentioned that at the beginning of the shit we're the inside men inside men hey can we talk about how uh spike lee hates video games spike lee hates grand theft auto so fucking much yeah (laughs) he's right I, I love that scene. Unironically, I really love it. Uh, Spike Lee, I think, meant that very seriously as like a critique of yes. uh, you know, video games and rap music. Uh, that it's is wild. easily the funniest uh, like video game scene in a movie, it's maybe ever. Funny. It's yeah, hilarious, and it's like, was this intended to be funny? Because it's so funny. It's it's supposed to. It's like a. It's such an okay boomer scene, but it it like still it still works because of how funny it is. You can go ahead and set it up. Sorry. Uh, there's just a scene where one of the one of the hostages kids who is who was in there with the bank and is you know it's this is how you start realizing that Clive Owen's actually a good guy is that Clive Owen is very nice to this little kid and wow Clive Owen's good to kids he must not have a bad bone in his body he doesn't make him wear a mask or anything like that he doesn't point a gun at him um, and there's a scene where uh, actually a very nice looking scene where he's the kid is like inside of the bank vault with all the money around him. And he's just playing his uh, he's playing his Vita, right? Am I PSP. correct? About that? PSP. Uh, which, let, let's go 2006 time capsule. When I saw that kid had a PSP, I was like, holy shit, better days. You, you got an Odin Sphere on that thing, dude? No, he has a he has a game called actually. Oh, shit. Do I, I don't have it up anymore. What that game was called. Uh, it's Gangsters is Genocide. Is yes. the game. <laughs> 
what? Very, very, well, Holy it's like shit. a. It's not only a Grand Theft Auto thing, but it's also clearly a play on like West Coast gangster rap music. Like you know that that sounds like a a, a Tupac, um, a Tupac kind of like a weird sounds, parody. Sounds like, Tupac sounds like a fire album, dude. Honestly, yeah, it sound does sound pretty hard. Hey guys, if not Rockstar, who gets to make Gangsters? Is whatever you just called it. Uh, that's the Saints Row team. That's the next Saints Row game. You think so? I. I'd like to yeah. give faith. I'd like to put my faith in in somebody else. I don't know. I mean, uh, yes, yeah, Spike Lee uh, said that he after the movie came out, he said that he regretted that scene being in the movie. Um, it doesn't really, it doesn't really fit. I guess I don't, you do uh, need a humanizing weird. moment with a kid. I guess. I, but. Yeah, I, I think it's the, it signals the start of Owen Wilson's character arc, like you said, right? Like, I, yeah, his, his interaction with the kid actually works really well for me. Um, because like you said, it, it sort of signals that he is actually interested in people and in uh, sort of what he's doing rather than right. just and, money. And that he's not actually like that scene. What that scene told me from a very plot like perspective is that he wasn't actually intending to hurt anybody. Clearly, like for the, through the movie up to that point, he hadn't really like caused any lasting damage or harm to people. Uh, he had only like threatened material property. And this scene just drove it home further. Like, okay, don't believe anything that happens from this point on in the movie that indicates physical or lasting or permanent damage to anybody who matters, right? He's sitting down with a kid, uh, with a black kid who's playing a video game. And despite, Spike Lee's fun, like moralizing moment with the video game that the kid's playing, uh, is it is a very like he's connecting over something moment, right? And he says, "Okay, like r- run along, little kid." Is kind of how the scene ends. He even specifically shouts out. Um, he says, "Like grab your dad. I want to talk to him about this game." Which, like again, it's silly in our minds because of the sort of okay boomerness of it. But in in the movie's mind, it's saying like, "Oh, like this is not only a character who is not calloused. He's a character who's like interested in this kid's future and also sort of like in culture in general." And like, like you would, I like a cal or not culture, but like in sort of like, like sociological um, goodness, and in how he can yeah. start that. It's kind of like a dad moment, right? Yeah, it, and it prefigures his interest in break, like stopping this Nazi. Yeah, I I very much like that part. Yeah, I liked it too. Also, again, looks really good. Shout out to a uh, cinematographer on this, Matthew. Uh, Libetique, I believe. Uh, he was also the cinematographer for uh, Mother, Black Swan, A Star is Born. Um, he's he done lots of stuff. He's amazing. Yeah, he, he's great. He worked with Spike Lee. I think the only other Spike Lee movie was Chirac. Or, no, uh, Miracle at Miracle at Santa Anna? St. Anna? Miracle at St. Anna, I believe. Yes. So three Spike Lee movies. Uh, I have not seen Miracle at St. Anna. Chirac supposedly is very well shot, so shout out to Matthew. I, uh... I feel I feel bad. Maybe maybe this is too much of a bummer to end on. I don't love the way that this movie looks actually uh, a ton. I think it, it's just a personal sensibility thing. I don't like how in 2006 every movie looked like it was being filmed in IMAX or for IMAX. Uh, yeah, this, this looks like a Christopher Nolan movie to me at it, times. Ooh, exactly. I was about to compare it to like Dark Knightism before Dark Knight. Right? Like it feels like. I guess weird fact that has no place anywhere in my mind, except right here. I saw Eagle eye with Michelle Monaghan and uh, Shia LaBeouf in theaters. Hell yeah. And, and the filming of that movie is very much what you'd expect from the, from the title and knowing that it was like what, 2008, 10, something like that. Like it is that uh, saturated high contrast, low color type 
vibe, you know, lots of lens flares and stuff. And that's what this movie reminded me of, except mm-hmm. for the moments where it's just Spike Lee, like the two dolly shots, the one that opens the movie where uh, Dalton is moving back and forth against the brick wall. And then the one where uh, Denzel is, you know, carted toward the bank after he thinks somebody has been killed. Very specific moments where it feels very Spike Lee, but visually doesn't have a whole lot of that. Otherwise, there are some long shots that like don't feel too unique or like distinctive. And that's kind of it. Yeah, I, I I just wonder how much of that is like maybe just us and maybe maybe the grass is always greener situation. But like I, I thought a lot about how this how this movie is is so self-consciously comparing itself to like crime capers of the 1970s. Like you're really classic. Dog uh, afternoon. Was, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's the number one. Uh, and that's why Spike Lee wanted to make this movie. Uh, he's quoted at, on Wikipedia. He's like, yeah, I like the script. Uh, Dog Day Afternoon is one of my favorite movies. This reminded me of that, so I'm doing it, uh, which is awesome. But like, like 1970s crime movies have such a beautiful look, and it's such a distinctive character to them. And this movie looks so sanitized. And like, I can't imagine, and again, maybe I'm wrong, but like, I can't imagine 30 years from now, people are going to look at like 2000s movies and be like man what a distinctive character that these had they're gonna oh, be that's like gonna oh. be so right. disgusting right it's they're all just gonna look really clean and like they were built in a computer uh what? which is like a kind of a big dumb uh very like cinephile um problem to have with things but yeah i don't know it's just like i couldn't get over how badly i wished that this was a 1970s movie instead of a 2006 movie yeah speaking of which what are everybody's uh, film recommendations, media recommendations uh, in the wake of seeing this movie? They uh, reference uh, in the movie at least once, maybe a couple times, uh, Dog Day Afternoon, which is an amazing film. Um, so people should definitely watch that as well as, uh, in my opinion, The Taking of Pelham 123. I was about to recommend that one. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Sorry to steal that from you. Did that, did the we original. That, uh, we didn't re- release that episode, right, Jason? Don't part the kimono too much, Harry. We haven't released that episode. <laughs> that was like our third episode ever. Wow, you it recorded that our, without me? It might have been our very first ep. No, our very first was Repo Man. Yeah. yeah. God, it, it was, was within Repo- the first three there. It was the second episode. We recorded it in my apartment. I remember that now. Yep. Oh, yeah. God, it sounded I must have been busy that day. I, I think that was back when I asked you if you wanted to be part of a film podcast, Cody, and you said no, uh, if I remember. Uh, I never said no to any of that. Stop with this libel Bleep! monster. Bleep! We have a rush situation. <laughs> if you like uh, watching Denzel Washington being fun, may I recommend the movie Two Guns with Mark Wahlberg from 2013. That is, It's been great to guns. come back to the mic, uh, y'all, but I think we have to end the episode now. Um, um, no, I'll, I'll leave the floor see. slightly open. Uh, Charlie Varick was just recommended by John Moret. Um, you should um, start following his uh, weekly updates if you don't already. I'm guessing most of our listeners probably do. But um, that's a 1973 uh, crime movie. Um, that's really great. Um, I just watched Mikey and Nikki. That's not really, it doesn't really have anything to do with this movie except that it's a crime movie. Uh, that's also really good. Um, does anybody have any really good bank heist movies? I'm struggling to think of any. Uh, I Reservoir Dogs. I'm grasping at sure. straws. But yeah, I mean, I like Reservoir Dogs. I think uh, like Reservoir uh, Dogs. The, the Dark Knight Rises. Uh, anybody? Anybody want to talk about The Dark Knight Rises? Uh, the 2010 film Dark Knight oh. Rises? Um, 
2012 film Dark Knight Rises. Uh, does anybody want to talk about that movie? The movie directed by Christopher Nolan. Um, uh, the film uh, Dark Knight Rises. It's uh, it's fine. It, it, this movie does look like that movie. It's it's not as orange though. Like this movie's pretty much as blue. Am I wrong? Very blue. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's very it's, blue. it's it's blue in yeah. in in multiple senses of the word. Ah, God. Uh, that's that'd be three. Um, thank you very much for listening to try love. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at try cinema or try love podcast. Christ. It's been too long. Uh, my name is Jason. You can follow me on Twitter at Nintendo formulaic and often jarringly violent two guns rests its old school appeal on. Uh, I think Jason has just taken the opportunity to mute Aaron. He has that power now as we all do. Uh, wait, do we No. Oh, only Jason. Formulaic and often jarringly violent. Two guns rests its old school. Uh, he's been muted again. My name is Harry Mackin. You can find, I don't know why I said my last name. Uh, you can find me at Shiitake Harry. I hope everybody is doing all right. Uh, I've been Cody. You can find me on Twitter at Cody underscore BH. Uh, wash your hands. Formulaic and often jarringly violent. Two guns rest its old school appeal. Thanks for listening, everybody. Stay safe. Stay well. Uh, we'll see you next time. Formulaic and often. <laughs> Cody, do you have a stinger that I can include at the end? Uh, yeah, I was going to leave it on on your very hopeful note, but I do have one. You can't. I do also have. Guns. You can't do the two guns. What about what about Cody's noties though? No, we didn't. Do Cody's noties. We we forgot to do Cody's noties. Can we do Cody's noties and insert them? We can do Cody's noties. Okay. Cody, do you have noties? I would like to do. Oh, yeah, I'm thinking. I have noties. I have one noty, actually. Uh, uh, do your noty, Aaron. Do it's your noty. It's not two guns. Okay, wait. Do you want to start? Should we start the thing with you doing yours, so that the edits will end? Oh sure. Yeah. yeah, we can do that. Hey, welcome back to another uh, episode, an episode of Cody's noties. Um, Woo! I want to give you a I want to give a shout out to a few people that we haven't um, touched on by name just because they're not at the forefront of this movie's production. Um, We did cite the character uh, Vikram a number of times. He is played by uh, Varus Aluwalia. Um, Apologies if I didn't get that quite right. Uh, I recognized him from a handful of Wes Anderson adventures, uh, Darjeeling Limited, uh, The Life Aquatic, and Grand Budapest Hotel. Um, He was also in Okja. Uh, I guess I don't remember him as well from that movie, uh, but I like his work as sort of a like a side character actor in those other movies a whole bunch. Um, yeah, oh boy, Varus. Uh, uh, Ken Lung from the very quarantine bingeable show uh, Lost. Um, he plays Miles in Lost, and he's credited as Wing in uh, in Inside Man. He's the guy who is. Uh, in kind of the opening sequences in he was standing in front of the the w- woman who is being ogled by the detectives later in the movie um he was the one in front kind of like glancing back at her and she was uh giving him side eye and some shit um he's really cool i like him and uh also i wasn't positive but the end credits verified um the song uh, Chaya Chaya um again apologies if i didn't get that quite right and i think a few other songs too were uh, done by A.R. Rahman, um, who was not the composer for this movie. I think he just like jumped in to do, like he made a couple of the songs that were featured in the movie 
He has been the composer on a shitload of, of other things, uh, maybe most popularly Slumdog Billionaire, um, which I haven't revisited that movie for a long time, so I don't know if that uh, has aged poorly. Um, I wouldn't be shocked uh, if that's the case, but I remember that was one of the first soundtracks when I was like 16 years old. I remember distinctly being like, I want to own this, this CD of this movie's soundtrack uh, because the music in Slumdog Millionaire was really, really good. Uh, so shout out to, to him. Great noties, Cody. Thank you so much. Noties, Cody. I, I will say, no, I think that those are actually good noties. Cody, those are great noties. I would not Wait, have anything to add. Did I, I, did I hear? Guys. He was going to say fine noties, but they're better. They're no, fine, they're better. Fine. They're fine, fine noties. Just saying the same thing twice intensifies it. So, okay. Yes. Uh, what was, I hate, what was hate you, line? Aaron. <laughs> yes. What was, your, what was your outro line going to be, Cody? Because I have one also. Oh, sure. Um, I was just going to, maybe my least favorite line in the movie, actually, the last line in Clive Owen's speech. I don't know why I'm prefacing it. <clears throat> and therein, as the bard would tell us, lies the rub. Uh, and then mine is, I'm not going to do a Denzel Washington impression, but at one point during this film, he does say, pinstripe mayonnaise lion motherfucker. Thank you for not doing a Denzel Washington impression for wow, that line. That, that one is so much better. It's very good. Oh, Cody cut out. Uh, I do got to say, if I, this will convince you to watch Two Guns. Uh, Patrick. Stop muting me. Uh, Patrick Fischler is in Two Guns. You guys know who that is? No. Who guns? Uh, that's, the, uh, that's the really sweaty uh, dude from Mulholland Drive at the diner. Oh. Yeah, very good. Hey, well, well, the one who passes like out. A lot. You're in like a you're in like a top 25 film scene, you know, you just get a coast on looking. Also, you look weird as fuck, so you just get a coast on that for the rest of your career. Well, and you get to appear in all of David Lynch's subsequent <laughs> work. That's true. And two guns. More like by David guns. Lynch. Uh, I I will be no joke, I will be doing two guns on Discord. Uh we'll see if it holds up when I first saw it. I think we're gonna cut all this. Oh yeah, for sure. Who guns? I heard, I figured we already. Yeah, Jason, do you need silence or anything? Who guns? Jason Marsden is in. Holy shit! Two guns got the hits. Who guns? Bill Paxton. Fuck. Bill Pookston. Paula Patton was in it. Paula Booth. <laughs> okay, you gotta, you gotta stop. <laughs> I haven't eaten anything all day. Can I go eat dinner? <laughs>